Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you here on a, the, on the a busy Wednesday as we begin the month. This is March, as John Rothstein likes to say. Ain't that right, Eric? Madness is about to begin, people. Best time of the year. And we, we are going to start with. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. We've got. We're going to start with basketball, but we also have baseball and softball to talk about. We have UCF track winning the indoor championship. Anne Marie Blaney, UCF track alum, talks with us about that and how difficult that is for UCF to pull off, considering we don't have an indoor track facility. Uh, Bryson is going to talk. Uh, so Bryson and Eric are going to talk some softball and baseball. But we be and oh by the way, a little bit later we will have Drew coming in to talk about um, uh, uh, Terry Mahadra's recently recent interview with the Orlando Sentinel and Jason Beatty, who's just been killing it for them. Congrats to Beatty; he's been great. Um, talking about the uh, UCF extending their deal with Nike for two years, uh, and and Terry dropping some some little hints at us about uniforms, which Drew is of course all about, um, and some conference news as well. But Let's begin with hoops, and we have to begin with UCF women's basketball, who pulled it off, man. They fought, they they have been they are peaking at the right time, and of course, joining us now for this is uh, Kyle Nash, the student of the game, the SOTG on Twitter, um, who was there uh, for uh, UCF's game against Cincinnati when UCF just listen. You like to see, I think a team shows its real greatness, Kyle, when the task is before them and they understand the assignment. <laughs> and, and UCF women's basketball certainly did, jumping out to a, what was it, 33-6 to six lead after one? Yes. And uh, just kind of stiff-arming Cincinnati the rest of the way, 74-39, to 39 was the final Saturday UCF gets to raise that uh, regular season trophy first regular season championship uh, for the night since 2005. When we were in the a sun, I was there for that. We didn't have confetti. We didn't have, we didn't have a trophy in the a sun for the American, for the regular season title. It was just, Hey, look at that. We clinched first place. All right. We get the number one seed in Dothan, Alabama. Fantastic. <laughs> um, Everybody got to play four nights and double figures. Uh, Brittany Smith, I thought she was great. Seven to 12 for 16. Destiny Thomas, seven to 10 for 16. Uh, got the double Diamond, double. Yep. Diamond Battles uh, was uh, four for 12 from the field, 12 points, but hit a couple of key shots late. Um, 
you know, despite some struggles in that second quarter, though, you know, in, in the third and the, if you look at the first and the fourth, Kyle, UCF shot a combined 20 for 33 from the field uh, and in and for the entire game held Cincy to just 30.2%, 16 of 53, including just five for 23 in the first half. Uh, this was exactly what UCF does, taken to, turned up to 11, wasn't it? Uh, that and more. Listen, you say understood the assignment. C students understand the assignment. These ladies hit extra credit and then some. And there's a lot of them looking to teach the class next year, right? Uh, you know, keeping keeping the 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 academic analogy alive. I am the student of the game. What did you think was going to happen? No. Um, also, if I don't touch on the domination in the paint in the form of of, of rebounding with forty three to twenty nine in favor of UCF, that's a big deal too. You know, it, it's funny. We're used to Tay Sanders. Uh, taking it, uh, taking it, or you know, shooting it from the cheap seats. We're used to a uh, diamond slashing her way to the basket, um, but we're not used to Destiny Thomas having the first six points of the contest with just domination and putbacks. You know, it's it, that that double double was sealed to occur basically in that first quarter, and she's the one that that kind of got the team off the ground to assure a fast start. And I think any women's basketball fans that 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 follow UCF will note that. This is the first non-USF game start that they had. And easily the best start of the year. And the numbers back that, looking at it. Listen, I don't remember Brittany Smith missing five shots. You tell me seven for 12, and I read it on the paper. I'm like, I can't count these five shots she's missed. And oh, by the way, that's off the bench. And she almost had another double-double. Taking nothing away from the guards, uh, the post play was just indomitable uh, throughout the game. And, and really, you know, though, though UCF didn't score an awful lot in the second quarter, as you cite, still held their opponents to under uh, 10, po- uh, t- 10 points, 40. Um, oh, oh, I didn't mean for the game, Bryson, under 10 points uh, for the quarter and almost for the half, gentlemen. Yeah, this is the fourth consecutive game uh, that UCF has held an opponent under 40 points, five in a row under 50. Um, Eric, this is. It, this is this was the goal that UCF set forth. They finally accomplished it. What does it mean for the program? Well, it's, they get over the hump to win that, put up a banner. Uh, you know, this group that came back, the seniors in particular. I mean, that's part of their goal. Now, they, as they told after the game, it's they're not done. Uh, they're going to have a conference tournament next week. They're going to leave Saturday to go to Fort Worth. They're going to be the top seed. Uh, and then, you know, try to go the, do the, the daily double, if you will. And, and then you go to the NCAA tournament. I think they want to make some noise. Charlie cream currently the above the bracketologist for ESPN has him as a seven seed currently, which is, would be the highest seed UCF's ever had in women's basketball, which means they would be the favorites likely in the opening round. Remember this program has never won a open, uh, an NCAA tournament game. So there's still a lot to accomplish for them. I think this is just the first step in this journey for this team that, you know, I think they, like I said, it's, 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 they really finished the job they thought they didn't last year. And I think this is the first step of what they hope is accomplishing multiple goals. So they would play, UCF would play the winner of the, the champ, the conference championship starts um, Tuesday uh, with the, or excuse me, Monday, I beg your pardon, March the 7th. Um, and the very first game at 2 p.m. Eastern uh, in Fort Worth is 
the game that will determine who UCF plays in the first round, UCF or in the quarterfinals. UCF plays the winner of the eight nine game, which at the moment, at as of this instant, is it would be between Memphis and ECU. Uh, UCF has handled, I think, both of those squads pretty easily. Uh, they beat Memphis by fourteen. The most recent meeting at home. Um, beat ECU by nine in North Carolina back on January the 8th. So, um, and then from there, it's, you're likely going to play the, uh, who is it? The four, right? So, yeah. So that would be, that would be SMU. Um, Outlook, Eric, on this team right now. uh, And then Kyle, we'll we'll finish off with you too there um, on, does this, do, what does this path look like for them in terms of getting the double? Because I know that this is something that's again, very much on their, on their list of things to do. And could that help push their seat a little bit higher? I don't know if it'll affect their seating that much in the NCAAs. What's interesting is if they play SMU, they've not played SMU. That game got, uh, you know, canceled basically and never got made up. Yeah, so that's right. Not- it was scheduled for, I forget where, oh, it was scheduled for January 19th. That's right, which we actually benefited from it because that allowed us to have Coach Abe on the show. So we appreciate that. <laughs> but they haven't played him, and that's a new staff, so that could be tricky. The interesting thing is South Florida and Tulane will likely be on the other side of the bracket. Who's going to UCF potentially face in the final? I don't think it's a lock that it's USF. Tulane's actually played better basketball. Tulane actually has been a better, a, a, a much more difficult matchup for UCF, believe it or not, this year. Than USF, uh, so I'm kind of intrigued by that. Can the American get a three bid league? We don't know, but I think that's the tricky part for this team. Don't be surprised if they come out. You know, I think it'll be interesting to see how they come out in that first round game and how they look. But uh, look, the, the 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 world's their oyster. I mean, this is a team that's historic. They're ranked in the top 25 first time ever in the coaches poll. Uh, they're 23 now. This is this team has a chance to it could go down as the greatest women's basketball team in program history. The question is how far can they take it? Uh, and we'll start to get some, we'll see if they could do that next week with the daily double and then go from there. By the way, Kyle, huge controversy on Twitter over UCF being ranked in the coaches poll, but not in the AP poll still. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, the, the, um, uh, I think that's absolutely an asinine at this point. And, and granted, I'm relatively new to the women's basketball uh, arena, but I, it just doesn't make any sense to me. It, when like you what put, more do they have to do? <laughs> right. You put the body of work out and then the one misstep they took, um, they've certainly alleviated with Saturday's performance. It's all about brands. I mean, again, you guys complain about football polls. Oh, they're not fair. I've told you a million times. The football polls are much a hundred times better than uh, the other sports polls, especially women's sports polls. Because the problem is, I'm not surprised that it's the media poll that hasn't put UCF in, because they don't watch women's basketball. I mean, granted, not many do, but... Is it, wait a minute, though. Is that true? Florida what? Gulf Coast is sitting there at 22. Yeah, and they've been... A, because they've been a perennial power over the last decade. They've been a perennial NCAA tournament team. UCF has not since Coach Abe has arrived. That's why... I wrote for Black and Gold Banner, right? The Coach Abe is the modern era Torchy Clark of women's basketball. Because really, we've never seen this from UCF women's basketball before. Yeah, they've had, you know, a year here and there where they've had success, but nothing to this extent. And now they're starting finally to get recognized a little bit. 
I would expect Coach Abe to finally win Coach of the Year in the American. That's been long overdue. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of this stuff's overdue. And Coach Abe even told us that, Kyle, in our media availability last week. This has been building now for four or five years. They didn't just all of a sudden get ranked. This was kind of building, and that's unfortunately, this is how polls work. Sure, yeah, and listen, I'm not knocking your point about your branding and some of the cynicism tied in there, too. But if attention isn't drawn to it by us, that it needs to be looked at, then how does it get changed? So I will maintain by stance of saying it's kind of ridiculous they're not there. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a media issue. I mean, I agree with you on that. I mean, a lot of the media are too busy worrying about, you know, where Aaron Rodgers is going to hang out tomorrow instead of covering sports that are going on right now. And it's so, again, that's why I'm not surprised that the media poll is leaving UCF women's basketball because they have no, you know, they, they have nothing better to do. I, there's Aaron, a reason I chose the word. Bull in a china shop. Like, yeah, it's, it's, I, there's a reason I use the cyn word cynicism, gentlemen. It's not to dis Elo. It's just. It's just what I, you know. Let's worry about well, these they, billionaires and owners like not reaching an agreement. Let's spend a hundred hours. I'm on pulling that. it back. All right. Uh, Wednesday night. We're recording this on Wednesday uh, morning. Wednesday night, six p.m. UCF is home for Tulsa. Six. Walk over. Let's move. Um, on. Let's Tulsa's not 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 Let's too good. Uh, we got we got more. We got. Well, I mean, they're not too bad. They're fifteen and eight overall, five and seven uh, we'll in the league. Back. But what this th this should be uh, this should be a dub um obviously ucf would be favored you know but you can't overlook this one and it's senior night and a it's lot a nice of seniors bid, bidding you, that you're bidding farewell to here Perhaps. um for this game so um so yeah this is going to be a not even the biggest tulsa basketball game of the week <laughs> listen again to put it again in eric's defense uh grumpy as he sounds he does happen to be right even coach abe and diamond battles both have said that the main po focus of this game and what they plan to do with it is to give one last chance to lock in which yeah. is coach slash corporate players speak team players speak for we're gonna roll them we just need to make sure we actually do that without getting hurt yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's that. Now, I, now I've been there before in, in situations where, you know, don't get hurt because I don't I don't know how, how many folks can remember this. But that last season that UCF won a regular season championship uh, in the conference in the A-Sun back in 2005, Celeste Hudson, who was our leading scorer, best shooter at the time, um, hurt her ankle badly at Belmont. And uh, I think the second to last game of the regular season or might have been the last game of the regular season. And UCF was, um, you know, went into the tournament in in Dothan as the one seed, but um, but severely, for uh, if you'll forgive the pun, hobbled um, without their best player. And it showed because UCF lost in the semis in a game where they really they really could have used um, Celeste. So um, so yeah, the key is here. I think you're absolutely right, Kyle. Stay healthy, get through Tulsa, and start prepping for the tournament. Speaking of prepping for things. Let's flip over to the men's side. Um, big uh, senior night win for the men, uh, over uh, also over Cincinnati to get to seventeen and nine. They finished having won. Uh, let's see, four, five, five in a row at home. All right. Um, they now go for this two-game road swing to finish the regular season. They're at Tulane Thursday, eight p.m in new Orleans and then Sunday, 2 PM at Tulsa. Here's the story for men's basketball right now, obviously 17 and nine, nine and seven in the conference at this instant. All right. At this particular moment in time, as we, as we sit here 
just prior to noon on Wednesday, March the 2nd, um, UCF is in fifth in the American, which is good because you have to be in, because the top five get the bye to the quarterfinals. If you're in sixth or below, you have to play in the first round. And then the winners of those games play the top, uh, play the top three seeds. Houston, of course, at the top, followed by SMU, Memphis, Temple, who UCF split with at nine and six in the conference. And then UCF at nine and seven, actually tied with Tulane. UCF's in the five slot, Tulane's in the six spot. The reason why UCF is up top right now is because UCF got the victory over Tulane earlier at home. But this is the return game on the road, Kyle Nash. Mm-hmm. And this is not going to be, this is not going to be an easy one uh, against the, against the green wave. They know that if they can beat UCF, I don't know what the tiebreaker is, but I think they could potentially leapfrog UCF or at least make things extraordinarily difficult for them. UCF in the meantime, wants to finish out with these last two wins, get to 19 and nine and seal up that, that buy. All right. Um, that, I mean, it's it's laid out before you right now, Kyle. So what what were your impressions based on that victory over Cincinnati that UCF got on senior night? And that was big. Um, and what are we seeing? What do you want to see from them against Tulane on Thursday? I mean, the the, the fact that they're doing what they're doing without Brandon Mahan is is what what got my impression. And when you see what happened with Isaiah Adams, that's the thing I want them to repeat. There's going to be a couple of things that happened in that sensing game that I don't respect. And listen, I know your dude, CJ Walker is a bad man, pajama. Anyway, he was over and above on Cincinnati. I don't expect him to go two for two from three point land, for example, against Tulane. That would be awesome, Jeff. I hope it happens for you, but, um, but I don't, you know, I don't expect that to necessarily occur in that particular context you know for example like the 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 idea of repeatable things that we can get that happened in this game you know to last game uh, i would love to see bake do do another uh, double digit game scoring i want to see four well and this is no different than any other uh, johnny Dawkins coach team i want to see four double digit scores i want to see somebody else other than darren green uh with good shot selection i want to see assists not necessarily in the 20s but let's call it mm, 12 or more i want to see team basketball that we got in that cincinnati game those are the kind of things i'm looking for but the thing that i think the most uh difficult i shouldn't say difficult the most uh challenging thing might be to see assure that isaiah adams is continuing to uh, prove that that wasn't just a fluke against cincinnati my problem is and the same thing happened to the ladies Eric, I respect that you got the opportunity to talk to Abe with that SMU postponement. It's been eight days when they uh, uh, when they take the court right. tomorrow, and that lack of uh, how you say continuity is an issue um, yeah. in my mind. No, but- I worry about I worry about that too. I worry about the long layoff. And look, this Tulane game is huge. If you beat Tulane, you've got the top five seed locked up because you have the tiebreaker over Tulane. You don't have to worry about you know, having to win the Tulsa game, you could move up to four, but really the four five doesn't matter. It's just who's wearing the home Jersey uh, at that point, by the way, if they win this and finish top five seed boys, they actually would actually uh, meet their expectations. They were a pick fifth in the preseason poll. See, you know, I was thinking about this walking up, walking up to the, uh, to the game, to the women's game on Saturday, Eli, you you keep talking about the meeting of expectations And, and that's accurate in a way, but keep in mind, they're getting there 
with having some of the issues that they have throughout a, out there with Brandon Mahan being hot and cold, with Isaiah Adams disappearing. Imagine if those guys were at potential. Maybe they could have beaten expectations, you know? Uh, maybe, but, I mean, Houston was always going to be better than them. Uh, well, SMU is better than them because they have the best, in my opinion, they have the best player in the league uh, who should be the player of the year in Kendrick Davis. And Memphis is better because they have better talent. So, I don't, I mean, UCF, even if they maximized their potential, I don't think would have beaten those three teams. Temple, you could argue they should be the four. You go back to the home game against Temple. If they hold on to win that, they would be in position to be the fourth team right now. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you on there. I think, like, looking I think back Temple on it, everyone, everyone got angry after the, the first Temple loss. Remember, the, we beat them in the first game in December. And then we lost them, but that was in Philadelphia, and we lost to them at home. And everyone was upset because everyone looked at Temple's net ranking at the time. But Temple's actually improved significantly. They're sitting there in fourth place. I thought when we lost them that they were a better team than, than everyone thought to begin with. The yeah, one but you still got to win that at home. The problem is you had an eight-point lead late in the game. You have to win at home. Yeah, I, I mean, I get you it, but you, could also, but you could also stand back and say, you know what, we stole that one in Philadelphia from them. You know, and if you, and if you, and if you come out of there with a split home and home, is the, one, the, one, I don't the, think so. the one loss that's going to cost this team the NCAA tournament bid is the South Florida game. If you win the South Florida game, you're in the bubble right now. You're in the. Well, I would say I would I would I would say two, and I would say the Wichita State game too. Uh teams, it's hard to win there. I get losing at Wichita, South Florida. There was no excuse for that. No excuse for that. Uh, that's the one loss that I think when everybody looks back, it's like that cost you thirty spots basically. I don't know what their net ranking is currently, but it probably would have been better up to 20 to 30 spots if you win that well, USF well, game. I, well, uh, I thought I thought Wichita was like ripe for the taking. I agree with you. It's that's, that's always a tough place to play. But if they were able to win that game, right? If they had won both of those games, UCF would be at 11 and five right now. Yeah, but now we're getting, greed, we're getting greedy there. They've never won at Wichita State. So that's why I don't really, I, to me, the USF won hurt. It was the first either, time for everything. Either way, let either me, way. Let Go me ahead, respond on the therapist couch here for this one because you're both making fantastic points. I will definitely hand you both Wichita State. The let, let's say, let's say, uh, let's say, uh, Brandon Mayhan and Isaiah Adams are playing up to air quotes potential that we thought that we might expect from them. 40 free throws would not have canceled that out. You're going to lose the Wichita. Agreed, agree, with, especially in Wichita point. where they no, definitely I'm love to hand out free throws. throws. Yes, right. However, if either one of them show presence in um, we, they could have won the Oklahoma game, which they only lost by three. They could have they won. had the ball with a chance to tie. Correct. Um, they could have won in my mind, even though the, the deficit was large, I think it's a matter of nobody stepping up. If Mahan or Zay step up in that game, that's a completely different game. Maybe they went in a squeaker, but at least they sweep USF to agree. Agreed. No, and you're, you're the, Clearly a better team than South Florida. That's why that's the one that bothers you because that you're clearly a better team than them. And that, and that it, was yeah. the disappointing thing there. And I think that Temple loss, though, Jeff, your defense of, hey, we stole that one is good. I think they win the Temple game at home. Right. If you got Zay and Mayhan doing the thing. So in my mind, I guess what I'm what I'm saying is 22 and six uh, was an opportunity. Right. I'm assuming well, that's basketball. I mean, there's games that could have they could, they could have lost both of games course. to East Carolina. So you know, some of that evens out. But you bring up a great point, Kyle. Isaiah Adams coming off his best game. To me, that's Since the December. key. Right. Mm -hmm. If he can play at that level, they have a chance to make some noise in this conference tournament. If he doesn't, I don't think they're gonna make any noise. To me, that's the key here this week and into the conference tournament is Isaiah Adams. That's the guy that can replace 
Mayhem's production. Uh, to me, that's the key guy there. You saw him play his best game of the year. Yeah, he was yeah. really I, what I liked about him. And I want to know what you thought. Kyle. He was he was more aggressive in that game, taking the ball to the hole than he was at any time. I th- and, and that's not to say, I mean, he did step back and hit two or three for threes. And I think that you got to do that. You know, if you're in his position, you got to present that threat. But man, was he aggressive. Uh, and, and that's that's the part that I like to see the most. Um, you know, 12 points, uh, didn't re- didn't record any rebounds with four or five from the field, two of two at the line. You know, if that keeps progressing, that's going to be that that he, he's he I, he's so tough to guard because he's so rangy and long. And it's it's uh, and I thought defensively he played really well, too. Yeah, well, and, and you got to. Rem- it's weird. It's weird with Mayhan how many times I have to look a look again to see if he's a guard or a forward because of the way he plays sometimes. And and also with Perry yeah. uh, Johnson out there, I can't call them Darius Perry and Johnson out there too. Like that, that kind of makes it interesting. So I think part of him had to to maybe make that transition in his mind to play more forward than guard. Um, you know, like like I said, Zay's listed as a forward. Uh, Mayhan's listening as a guard, but they're both the guys I think that are most like each other on the roster. That's why they switch out a lot. But you you say aggressive. I feel like the game was just a faster tempo than usual. And Isaiah apparently fits into that. Did he do anything where I was like, felt like he was, you know, going to start screaming out? Yeah, it's the juggernaut. No, nothing like that. But he was able to meld well with a faster pace of the game. Um, there were a lot of situations where there were just a lot of turnovers, a lot of team basketball where there was passing. Um, and I'll put it this way. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens. The next team is not going to dominate the perimeter or try to dominate the perimeter the way that Cincy did with the same reckless abandon. I'm going to see if Zay can find, can actually be aggressive right. rather than just take advantage of the tempo. I'm not saying he was unaggressive, but it didn't leap off the page for me necessarily. No, it's be big games. It's big games point. here. Big yeah. games, by the way. If they can win out here, and let's say win the opening round 4-5 game, get to the semis, I think they can make the NIT. And I think if they make the NIT, that's a successful season. That's, to me, when we did their preseason show, Jeff, back in, I don't know, when the heck was that? October? November, <laughs> November right. probably. I said the, the goal for this team should be a postseason tournament. I didn't never said NCAA. I said postseason. With a couple of breaks, maybe you make the NCAA. But if you can make the NIT, to me, that's a successful season with this program and right now according to our nit bracketologist drew glukoff here at, at, at black and go better at ucf's a five really seed. good at reading the ratings from dratings.com anyway i'm just, just reading it from proper drew source Glu- in there thank you I'm, very much i'm just reading it from drew on his chatter so i don't know where he's getting it. i don't ask questions you can ask him later but i know where a, he's getting it from <laughs> they're a five seed boy if we could get to that four seed jeffrey that's a home game that's a home game i know hey! i know hey let's well listen who are the other five seeds in the NIT right now, according to this bracketology? Like, who are we on a par with? Virginia, Washington State, Fresno State. Who would we? Fourth. Who would we be playing? Yeah, Mississippi State. Oh, Missouri, oh, 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 right? Missouri State, Texas A and M, or Santa Clara. Mm. So oh, I want Mississippi State for obvious. That's a lot. <laughs> well, don't we? Yeah, keep an eye for, for pretty obvious reasons. But um, but yeah, I, I it's it's interesting where you can kind of like compare, like okay, approximately where in the hierarchy of college basketball are we right now? Um, 
And I think that that's a pretty interesting comparison. But again, like you said, one thing first, you got first things first, you got to win this, this Tulane game. You, yeah, uh, it's, I, it's I, I think you got to. I, I think you got to, you know, I think you really do got to win that, that Tulsa game on the road, get to 19 wins before you get into the conference championship, go in there at 19 and nine. You know, if you win, all you got to do is win one game and you hit 20 wins. And what was it? And, four weeks ago or so, Jeff, where he said 19 and nine was the best yeah. scenario. Yeah, that was the best. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Best case scenario is 19 and nine. And you know what? It's sitting right there. You know, so let's go and take it. They're playing well right now. And I've told people this time and time again. The whole point about college basketball, it's not like college football. We need to stop thinking about college basketball the way we think about college football. And I'm pounding my desk so that everyone can hear me on this. All right. Wow. The point of college basketball is are you playing your best ball at the end of the season when you have the end of the regular season you have the conference championship and then hopefully you have an ncaa or nit championship laying in front of you that's the especially for this program especially for this program which does not have a lot of history and it's not you're not in a state of florida that's great in basketball all the talent in this state leave the state they go to brand schools in the American, there's only really one program that can get lottery picks. That's Memphis. Not even Houston gets lottery picks. He kind of develops them there, but he has great tradition there. They can, you know, Calvin Sampson mentioned the can, funding, by the way. And the funding. They have a ton of money, uh, but they have tradition. Calvin Sampson can come into a recruit and show him, hey, look, this is Clyde Drexler and Hakeem Olajuwon. We come to our recruits. Hey, look, Elvin Hayes is over there, yeah. is over here calling our games. He beat Kareem Abdul-Jabbar at UCLA. Yeah, we come here and we're like, um, so it's nice and nice campus over here. That's all we got. Yeah, we got it, it is a nice campus. That's all we got. Yeah, that's what we got. But, hey, that tradition has got to start somewhere. And, uh, and I'll tell you, I, you know, we saw, you know, I, I remember, I think back to that NIT year with Taco and BJ and all that. Right. I mean, there were some disappointing moments in that season, but it was a great year. everyone forgot about it with that NIT run. Right. How this team finishes the year will determine how this season will be looked at to your point. I agree. And I don't think 100%. any of us would, would argue that they aren't playing their best basketball right now. We'll yeah. See. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm with you. And I think that, um, you know, but again, got to win this Tulane game. I think it's so critical to get get that one in the bag assure yourself of that first round by um and get the rest that you need and uh and one last thing uh kyle we don't we don't know anything about brandon right we we've never heard if he's actually out for the year or if he, he could come back at any point so the scuttlebutt with that is according to what we've heard from uh johnny in the uh in the post game after um after cincinnati was um that the hope is we'll get him back for uh, potentially conference tournament play. Um, certainly if there's anything beyond that, um, I think that's a bit aggressive personally. I don't know the exact nature of the in, uh, injury, but when I see boot, uh, I, I, my mind immediately goes to six weeks. Um, so and crutches, um, well, the crutches, the crutches, uh, to me based on, and this is based on my injury experience crutches are just there to indicate you need stability so um the boot is what scares me because that means you're trying to set something you're trying to 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 stabilize it more than just make it easier and less 
damaging to walk around, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, the crutches are all, uh, an indicator. The boot is a worse indicator for me. I mean, that's what that's a boot. So, um, you know, uh, in my non-medical mind, spokesperson, results may vary. Yeah, that's right. Not well, and and I mean, how each person heals is different. I mean, I'm I'm as close to medical you can get without having you know uh, uh, an LPN or an RN. Okay, like I, I I I'll I could go down the list of my healthcare credentials, but I'll nerd people out. Um, <laughs> but the punchline is, you know, based on my my yeah, uh, 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 it could vary. Um, but back when I was in a, a peak condition, you know, I would turn around from, let's say, uh, lower extremity. Uh, injuries relatively quick but a boot is a whole other ball game yeah you don't know what you're gonna get with that um so i mean hey listen here's to the optimism um maybe a little bit of ewing theory playing in right now to 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 uh use a bill simmons re- reference um you know, with brandon out there <laughs> um you know hey we'll have to see but uh that's where we stand right now with uh hoops and uh, a big week of games coming up uh, senior, of course, senior night, uh, Wednesday night, tonight, if they were recording this for the women, uh, and of course the men at Tulane on Thursday. And of course, weekend games coming up in the conference tournament coming up next week as well. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we return UCF track and field winning the indoor championships, uh, Anne Marie Blaney senior from 2017, highly decorated athlete at UCF. Um, who has some conference championships of her own on her own mantelpiece gets to talk with us about the indoor championship, how truly difficult it is for UCF to do. And also we're going to talk about baseball and softball coming up uh, in a little bit as well. Stick around. The Black and Gold Bannerhead podcast is back after this. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Jeff Sharon with you, along with Bryson Turner. And, of course, UCF track and field with uh, a tremendous victory in the American Athletic Conference Indoor Championships, which we talked about a little bit earlier. And joining us now is a veteran of UCF uh, who's, got some, uh, who's got some medals and trophies of, sig- of significant proportions on her mantelpiece. Anne-Marie Blaney, a record holder at UCF, uh, who also has been, uh, has her set eyes set on the Olympics, had them set for 2021, and hopefully we'll see you in 2024. Anne-Marie, thank you for taking time for us once again to talk uh, some UCF track. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. So my first question is, uh, in general, we here at UCF, we don't, uh, obviously, we don't have an indoor track facility right so um so it is different where kind of every meet is a road meet so when tell us about when you were training at UCF even as a distance runner and talking about your friend you know some of your teammates who were in some of the other events how is training for the indoor 
season when you don't have an in a true indoor facility different than training and preparing for the outdoor season? Yeah. So you're definitely, I would say the biggest difference is you're definitely on the road a lot more. Um, you are basically out of meet every, every other week. Um, so I feel like not having indoor track, we have the luxury of continuing to train outside and in the good weather. Um, we could use, you know, the field house and things like that if we really want to, um, get that indoor feel, but yeah, the indoor track is hard. Cause I, I don't believe there is one in Florida anymore. Um, I know the university of Florida used to have one. Um, I think the Odom used to be that right. I'm maybe. not hundred percent sure. I can't remember. Anyway, go ahead. I'm yeah. sorry. Um, but I really don't think that not having indoor track ever hinders the training. Um, yeah, you can't practice the curves and the straightaways, but you know, every track, even every indoor track can be different. Um, cause I know the UCF team, we used to go to Kentucky and their track indoor track is a quite a bit bigger than a 200. So it just varies. And then you have all the banked tracks and all the different things like that. Um, so training wise, there really wasn't a huge difference. Um, as long as, you know, the athletes don't see it as a disadvantage, then, um, training can kind of go along as, as normal. So looking at the results, I mean, several winners here from UCF, but I think the big highlights were of course, uh, Renaya Jones winning the 60 meters in seven, 7.31. She also won the 200 or, uh, in a 23.35 and she pulled off the triple winning the 60 hurdles in 7.9. Now I know sprints aren't your thing, but based on what you know, which is wildly more than any of us know, how hard really is that to do? It's definitely difficult. You have to be ready to perform sometimes back-to-back events. Um, and just doing that many races all in one weekend, um, can really tear your body up and kind of mentally, you know, you're having that adrenaline pump every single time. Um, and she's giving, you know, all she's got for each of these events. Um, and I was able to catch a couple of the events this weekend, uh, watching, and she was just amazing to watch her run. So, um, definitely well-deserved and she could beat a lot of other conferences as well, which was pretty cool to see. Cause I tuned into a couple other conferences as well. And it was just awesome to be like, telling my friends, wow, she could win other conferences as well. So you were on the, Oh, oh, sorry, uh, Bryson, go ahead. Yeah. Um, you were on the team the last time that UCF won an American athletic conference indoor title back in 2017. And this time around, they actually broke the meat, uh, the, the meat record winning with a hundred, with 156.5 points. Can you just kind of talk about like the, what a, an entire team has to go through in order to achieve the a result, the result that we saw? Yeah. So you're definitely going into battle together. Um, it's totally a team event, um, even though everybody needs to perform individually. So I remember always kind of having that like battleship mentality where we're going into this and everybody needs to give it their all. We all want to be in the top eight to get those, even like if it's one point, two point, every single point matters. Um, so to have everybody always trying to spread their talents across multiple events or just giving it their best in what they um, typically excel at is just 
a really cool feeling to know that we're all out there doing our thing, but all with the common goal. Um, so it was definitely a very special moment in my running career. And it's kind of cool that these girls also get to experience everything uh, the same as well. Um, it's just so awesome to see UCF, you know, doing well, especially in the sport that um, I participated in for so long. Yeah. So speaking about participation, uh, one of your, a record that you were involved in actually got broken over the weekend. The distance medley team ended up uh, getting the silver medal by running an 1129.94 time, which breaks the program record that you set with a few of your teammates back in 2016. So can you tell me what it was kind of like to set that, to set that record and kind of explain to me how, like um, what you go through with distance, with distance medley races to get the result that we did? Yeah. So I just see my name slowly fading away from the record books, which is bittersweet, (laughs) but also so awesome because everybody is just getting faster and faster. So it's, it's, you know, it's only right that the records get broken. Um, But the DMR is definitely a very special event uh, just because it takes, you know, all the way down from like sprinting to distance events and brings us all together to kind of run one really exciting relay. Um, So, I mean, it's just putting together the best squad that you think will run on that day. And then everybody's, every second counts in that event as well. Just like every point matters, every second in the TMR matters. And I think they got it by just a few seconds too, but I mean, they're raising the bar for the future. So I love that. Can you talk about what it's like running the anchor leg? Because junior Charlotte Crook, who's really been showing out lately in some of the same and some of the longer events, including some that you run and run in yourself. Can you talk about kind of specifically running the anchor leg for a distance medley team? Yeah. I mean, any anchor leg, man, you have to watch everything that goes down for that whole race. Uh, whereas like, you know, the first person, they go right out the gates, giving it their all, but I mean, the last person they're watching everything that happens, like if the batons dropped, if someone trips, anything like that. And then, you know, you have to see, you're going to give it your best, but there's almost like this pressure to make up for anything, any lost time. Um, And you can kind of do calculations in your head or have your goals time kind of like hovering. And uh, so there's definitely a lot of pressure um, as far as being the anchor leg goes, but I mean, the feeling of being the last one to bring the team home, uh, I think makes up for that. <laughs> Let's talk about the NCAAs now, because, uh, you know, obviously with UCF getting, getting the conference championship, how does that now factor into the NCAA championships? Cause we do have also, you know, two individual runners qualifying for the indoor championships, but this is, um, you, you know, things, things do are going to step up now another level in competition, right? Definitely. Yeah. So the I would say indoor is arguably like one of the most difficult NCAA championships to be involved in. It's so um it's so intimate. They only pick, you know, a certain number of competitors for each event. And there's really there's no regionals. There's nothing like that. Um so it really is the best of the best. Um, and that's their like one chance to shine and their last indoor meet. Um, but also athletes, you know, can't get down if they don't get invited because they're not in the top, even the top 20 in the U S like, cause that's 
so hard in itself because there's so many athletes. So um, that's where outdoor, you kind of have regionals to motivate you a little bit more after conference rather than like everyone now who's not moving on has to kind of take their downtime spring break or whatever it is and then move on and prepare for the next season which isn't necessarily bad either because it's a long year especially if you're doing cross country on top of that so but it is very difficult to make so it's definitely an achievement uh that they should be proud of yeah, you you were the last UCF track athlete to make it to the indoor championship back in 2017. And before that, no uh, no track athlete made the indoor championship since 2013, back in the days of Octavius uh, Octavius Freeman and Ariel Scott. Can you just kind of talk about like because I saw Coach Dana Boone tweet about how tough it is to make that to to make this meet. And can you kind of give us an insight into that toughness just from a training perspective because you mentioned it's the best of the best so yeah so it's hard you got to play your cards right with picking like which event do you want to go for if you if you feel like you're on the cusp of making it um and I mean I tried every single year to make it to the indoor meet um and I only made it once uh so I feel like that's just a testament to itself that it is a difficult meet to make um And if you can make it in multiple events, wow, that's totally, that's so awesome. Um, But I mean, yeah, you just, you just got to keep going and know that there's another season, I guess that's what motivated me. And then when I finally made it, I was, I don't know, I I couldn't believe it. It was definitely, I'm so glad I had that experience, Um, but it did go by really fast. (laughs) What What was your event in the, in the indoor that you, that you were best at? I did, I ended up going to nationals for the 5,000. 5,000, the 5K, um, okay. Yeah, so, and then and, I squeezed by on the podium with eight. <laughs> well, let me, so. when you're training for an event like that, how much actual running are you doing every day in order to be at your best heading into that event? Um, it, it depends um, on what the mileage was. I think I was definitely... I would say I would do about a week of what they call tapering. So where you don't, I mean, cause we would run so hard at conference that you got to keep yourself um, still fresh to compete your best at nationals, which is a hard balance to play because some athletes get more tired than others. Um, but I think if I remember correctly, we kept the mileage pretty low and then you do a lot of like shorter, faster reps to sharpen the legs. Um, so definitely more track work um, back home at UCF is what we would do. But yeah. And then after the NCAAs, um, you know, even though we have two, uh, Renai is going for two events. Uh, and Latasha well, Smith is going for the 400 meter dash. For one other, right. The rest of the team, though, is now moving over to the outdoor season. So what changes are made in your train or or are any changes made in your training regimens when you switch from indoor to outdoor? I think just, um, the training is going to generally stay the same. You definitely have to focus on taking that break because otherwise if you plan on going or qualifying for nationals all the way down the line for outdoor, that's a very long season. So I always took my breaks pretty seriously. Um, as in like doing not too much, um, but really training wise would be about the same. Um, 
Yeah. And just making sure that you take care of anything that might've been bothering you during indoor season, like injury wise, anything that could maybe derail your outdoor season, I think is a very wise thing to address in between seasons. Um, if something's going on with anyone, but that would be like my main focus between the two seasons. Yeah. All right. Anne-Marie Blaney joining us Uh, now, but by the way, before we let you go, Give us an update on where you are right now, what you're doing and what your plans are uh, on the, on the professional circuit. Yeah. So I live and train in Rochester Hills, Michigan, um, have my sights set on a marathon next, but I can't, I don't think I can disclose which one yet. They make you wait before announcing your schedule. Um, but definitely getting in some good training. Uh, marathon mileage is definitely different than any mileage I ever experienced for a 5K or 10K in college. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so everything's going really well here. Just trying to stay warm. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. I bet this time you know, and, and okay. So, but wait a minute. Let, let me ask you this. When we see you at the, at the 2024 Paris Olympics, which event are you, are we going to see you in going to be the marathon? I would say, yeah, the slower and longer the distance, then that's what I'm going to be in. So <laughs> the marathon, cause you, I'm you pretty know, good at clicking off some paces yeah. and going for a while. <laughs> well, we, well, we follow you. I mean, I remember we were, we were following, um, I don't know if she was a teammate of yours. You guys may not have crossed paths, but Erica White's, also, uh, I think I think was chasing after the, was chasing after the Olympic marathon. I don't know if she's I don't know if she's trying to go for Paris again, but um, you know this is something that we you know we really enjoy because you know you guys work so hard, and I'm uh, Bryson and I are both incredibly fascinated. I mean we're we're both uh, we're both Olympic nerds, but, um, <laughs> but we're so fascinated by just the 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 precision the the that you guys work so hard at optimizing every last little step yeah. um, to get the most out of everything that you get. And it's, it's totally mind boggling. And, um, yeah. and the more insight that, that you can give us into that, I think the more appreciation that not only we, but UCF fans have for the incredible work that you guys do. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Anything for sharing the sport. So I'm glad for what you guys do as well. And for well, what it's really- worth, I hope we see, and uh, hopefully we might see another UCF athlete maybe join you in uh, Paris in 2020. I know. That would be I know. awesome. <laughs> boy, boy Renai and Anne-Marie 2024, we are starting the campaign right now. All right. Yeah. This, this is happening. Anne-Marie <laughs> Blaney, thank you so much. UCF track alum. Uh, and where can people follow you, Anne-Marie, for the latest on, uh, on where you are and what you're doing? I'm most active on Instagram. So just A.M. Blaney on Instagram. <laughs> A.M. Blaney on Instagram. Emery, thank you so much for your time and your incredible insight. Uh, stay warm, stay healthy, and we'll <laughs> keep following you. And uh, hey, what do you say we get back together again come the uh, outdoor championships? Yeah, I'd love to. All right. Thanks, Anne-Marie. We'll thank talk you. to you again soon. Thank you. <laughs> wow. Thanks to Anne-Marie for her insight. Really appreciative of her and uh, best of luck to her in her, in her pro marathon and career. We'll be, we'll be keeping an eye on that as the uh, weeks, months, and of course, years uh, progress. Bryson Turner's back with me along with Eric Lopez um, to just debrief real quick uh, off a of track and field. What a performance. You know, when you look back at it, um, uh, 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 Bryson, 
who were the what was the big standout here for uh, for UCF? Obviously, we talked about Renaya Jones, you know, winning all the events we talked about. But who else, you know, really deserves some some uh, some props in your opinion? Well, I think all the uh, definitely all the props in the world goes to Brittany Floyd. She managed to break the pentathlon record again and win the and win the gold medal while she was at it. So that was a great job by her. Ashira Collins. Now, I did not know this because I was we because we were watching the uh, I believe I was at the women's basketball game at the time. And so I wasn't paying all the way attention. But Ashira Collins managed to get the gold medal after she uh, to beating a jump that was just a centimeter ahead of her. her. One of her opponents had jumped a centimeter ahead of her and she went and beat that on her last jump to get the gold medal in the triple jump. So there was that. We mentioned the distance medley team who got a silver medal with uh, Amory Blaney. Uh, Jasmine Scott Kilgo podium in the in the long jump. We mentioned Latasha Smith, who's going to be going to the NCAA championship in the 400 meter dash. Kaylor Harris managed to get the bronze in the 60 meter hurdle in the same event as Renaya Jones. Sierra Holback got the silver medal in the 60 meter dash with Renaya as well. And oh, and we um, Charlotte Crook and Katie Pinnell, both podium, got the silver and bronze, respectively, in the 800-meter dash. The 4x400-meter relay team got the gold medal as well. Latasha Smith, Kia Williams, Danielle Best, and Sammy Yara Bradwell. And finally, Kalia Jones got a bronze medal in the high, high jump. You can read mu- much more detail about this in my article about the situa- a situation where there are also links where you can see the full results. All right. And also two UCF Knights, like we said, uh, uh, qualifying for the NCAA Indoor Championships, which will be held in Birmingham in, in just nine days, uh, March 11th and 12th. Um, and this is at the place where UCF competed in the American Championships. Um, Renaya Jones qualified for the 60-meter dash. Uh, she also called, uh, uh, or also Latasha Smith is in the 400 meter dash with her time. And Renaya, of course, the 60 meter hurdles. Um, she's got, so she's got two indoor events. First one person event. ever to do that, by the way. First yeah, person first... to ever qualify for both the 60 and the 100, as both the 60 dash and the 60 hurdles at the same time. And Latasha Smith is the first person ever to qualify for the 400 meter dash. I mean, I right. mean, we've talked about hard to do, really great. hard to do. And especially in the indoor where, you know, like Anne-Marie was saying, there aren't a lot of opportunities to qualify for that. So you get that, you know, you, you know, you're one of the best. Yes, All right, sir. let's go to softball, Eric Lopez. All right. Another tournament at home UCF right now, 11 and six, they go four and one in the home tournament. Uh, with wins over Ole Miss, James Madison, who they run ruled, by the way, that's a college world series team from last year that they run ruled two, nothing over DePaul, three, nothing over Oakland on Monday. Only blemish was a 12, 11 shootout with number, <laughs> with number four, Florida, another exciting game at the Plex. Um, this one didn't quite turn out, boy, we were thinking it when Shannon Doherty came up down one in the seventh, I was thinking, oh my God, is she going to do this again? Yeah, Tim Walton's uh, like, no way, man. I'm gonna walk her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, and uh, which, which, unfortunately for UCF, ended up being the right decision. But, um, hey, four and one again, another uh, another really good another really good weekend for Coach Bear and the squad, huh? 
big success. As I wrote on Black Eagle Banneret, this was a night classic, very successful. You To me, four and one, this was a regional quality field. That's what Coach Ball Malone said on Monday after the win against Oakland. All these teams might end up in the NCAA tournament. But the big thing to me, the old Miss game, Shannon Doherty, walk-off homer, second time, goes virtual. To me, and I wrote this on the Banneret, Jeff. Another, another bat flip for the ages. She's the face of the program, right? Don't you feel like to me... It, I could feel it. She's that favorite. She's the face of the program. She's the player that you're not, you're not a softball fan. Even, even if you're not a softball fan, you now know who she is because of what she's done. Like it, it was funny. Cause obviously I look at Twitter after the game, I'm done with the broadcast and I just see all the Shannon tweet, you know, tweets. And it's just kind of crazy. That was a dramatic game. The Florida game, you mentioned three hours and 40 minutes, longest seven inning game in UCF softball history, oh. highest scoring UCF Florida game ever UCF scored the most runs against Florida put this in perspective Florida pitching staff which is among the best in the country had given up only 11 runs in the previous 15 games prior to the UCF game they give up 11 and honestly if UCF just played a cup make a couple of plays defensively there was a base running mistake late in the game they win that game uh, but that's what happens when you have a young team. You're going to have some miscues like that. Uh, I think they're, they're going to, you know, Coach Ball Malone even told us that afterwards, that that's some of the things they're working on. They're going to work on here to get a couple days of practice before they host South Carolina and Florida Gulf Coast. But there's a lot of positives. Caitlin Felton, shutout against JMU, you mentioned. Grace Jewell, shutout against DePaul. Those are your two of your young guns there. And uh, offensively, I think they're starting to figure some things out. But, uh, man, it was a wild uh wild weekend i've never called a game like the florida game before where it was uh that was a seesaw affair a, you know slugfest yeah uh south carolina and florida gulf coast coming in what are the outlooks on those two teams right now well florida gulf coast knocked off texas opening weekend when they hosted them in the tournament so they are they're you know they're going to be up and ready to go for this game what's interesting ucf center starting center fielder janisha Rowe transferred from there to come here uh so we'll see how that goes from that standpoint and then South Carolina is a team that UCF played last year. Carolina won two out of three at home. So this is kind of a return trip. It's a home and home. Uh, Carolina's an SEC team. They're a team that's been to the NCAA tournament, Beverly Smith and company. So we could have some more drama, which is what we've had this year with UCF against the SEC. So I would expect another wild weekend in that regard. UCF ranked in every poll, by the way. Uh, twenty, I think the 25th in the ESPN poll, 24th in the NFCA. So we'll see if they, you know, to maintain that they're going to do well at home because they go on the West Coast trip after this this tournament. So this is a big homestand. You want to keep the momentum that you built last weekend and build that into this weekend before you go out west for a week. Yeah, I, I, I'm looking at that Western trip and hey, Coach Balmalone going back to her old stomping grounds of yep. Pacific too on Tuesday, right? She's really looking forward to that, isn't she? It'll be the first time that she will be there as a visiting head coach. She has not played her, and she'll be facing her mentor, uh, Brian Cozy, there. It's kind of like Brady versus Belichick in softball, except they get along, and there's no drama there. Uh, although we think Brady Belichick get along. But anyway, uh, yeah, that'll be emotional there, and you know she'll get to see. And I'll be curious how the players, a young roster, handles that West Coast trip. How do they handle that hoopla? Because I'm sure they're going to honor Coach Ball Malone in Pacific. Uh, so that'll be a part of that. And then they'll go into a tournament there. Iowa State's an NCAA tournament team, Nebraska. But it starts this weekend at home. 
They got to take it. It's a kind of a quirky little tournament because they'll play South Carolina twice and they'll play Florida Gulf Coast three times. So it's like they're playing two series at once. We'll see how they handle that uh, against this, uh, you know, team. Uh, those two teams are going to be gunning for them. Florida Gulf Coast, I'm sure, will be ready to go. And South Carolina, obviously, is a big series there. You're trying to add up to the resume. You look at UCF, they have wins over Ole Miss, Georgia, Texas. Texas Tech, who just upset Philip Rossman, Reich, our friend's uh, beloved Northwestern team that was in the top 10 in the polls. So that's a good win. Uh, but I'm excited to see it. And Mikayla Macario, the reigning American Conference Player of the Week, the freshman shortstop. Jeff, I had a couple of alums text me thinking, man, they, she reminds them a lot about Tiffany Lane, who played at UCF from 2008 to 2011 and hit that memorable two-run homer against Houston to win this USA championship. So a lot of positives, a lot of positives, a lot of excitement, a lot of eyeballs. Now we'll see how they respond a week later uh, against good competition with maybe less uh, fanfare because there's a big marquee series across the street from them at the same time. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be – yeah, th this is going to be a wild, wild next couple weeks coming up. And you wouldn't want it any other way as we head into March. End of March starts conference play. You got USF coming in, in or you're going to USF in Tampa at the end of the at the end of March. Conference starts then, yeah. Kirk. Yeah. So, man, this is gonna this is gonna get fun. This is gonna get a lot of fun. So um, now let's flip over to um, to baseball. I want to get Bryson up in here uh, on this. Baseball got a got a big win yesterday, and uh, you know with as uh, as. Brian Murphy likes to say Johnny Holstaff getting the win for UCF baseball five to three over Stetson as they get ready to play uh, number two Ole Miss in a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's at home. Uh, but let's look at where this team is right now. Seven and one. Uh, they had the three game series at Georgia Southern uh, one, two out of three up in Statesboro. Bryson did get the loss and got hung with the loss in the middle game, but came back and and uh, put 10 runs on the board on Sunday. So, you know, four in uh, one week, uh, you know, if you, when you include that Stetson game is not a bad, is not a bad place to be right now as you get ready for the number two team in the country to come in. Yeah, I would say so. I think also this, I think that this series really showed the strength of this pitching staff, this, um, this pitching staff. It, it, I mean, love lady said that all three of them, Litchfield, Stain and Patterson can all start on Friday. And I think they did prove that this week, despite the, uh, the, the two to three loss with Georgia Southern, it wasn't Connor Stain's fault. He didn't allow any runs in his four in, in, in his four innings of action. Those runs would come, come later off of relief pitchers. But um, so I think that as far as the pitching staff goes, I think we're fairly solid. And if there's any team that, that can handle Ole Miss, I would definitely trust those guys. My big worry is going to be offensively because if there's, because looking back at the schedule, we have not scored uh, besides that one Georgia Southern game where we won 10 to one, we, um, the UCF has not had not scored more than five runs. And I think that run support is definitely going to be something you'd want to have for the number one team in the country. Now, um, the good news is, is that a couple of players have been doing good with that regard. Nick Romano, Ben McCabe, Jeffrey Pena, they've been doing, Riley Walsh, they've been hitting fairly, fairly well. But, you know, you, you're, it, you can't rely on them alone. You're going to need a, a much more of the players to be able to step up at least on one or an at-bat or two 
especially when you're going up against the number two team in the country. The, uh, the good news is, is we did beat them out in, in Oxford before last season, and now we're and now we're at home. So I would hope to imagine some home field advantage would be nice there. And so, but um, yeah, you know, hey, John Rice Plumley might not ha- get to play against his former school, but this is still a very engaging series. Yeah, I want to bring this point up because this is actually pretty, pretty interesting. The top four hitters on UCF right now are all uh, among qualifiers uh, are all over 350. Jeffrey Payne, he's hitting 438. Nick Romano and Ben McCabe are both hitting the exact same um, average, 393, 11 for 28 at the plate. Riley Wash is off to a very good start, 7 of 20. He's 350. But then there's a big drop off and before you get to Michael Brooks, who's fifth on the team at 250. So they are getting production, but, you know, but I think against Stetson last night, we saw a little bit more production that we were from some other guys who may not have been hitting all that. Well, Alex Freeland hit that home run last night. That was a key hit. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And now he's up to 222. Who are you looking to see, you know, kind of, kind of heat up here is, it, it, with the potential to heat up for Ole Miss? I would say Alex Freeland and Tom Joseph. Look, I think Alex Freeland is an absolutely excellent hitter. I just think he's he's not had the just not had the best start to his season. And sometimes that happens. And so I would definitely keep an eye on Alex Freeland because even though the stats might not show it, he can be very dangerous at the plate. And then Tom Jostin as as well. Jostin, we've seen this at ball ball. He can rank that baseball. So I would definitely keep an eye an eye on him as well. He could definitely he could definitely hit it yard as well. And one thing to keep an eye on, Jeff, is that um, when we talked to Greg Lovelady, he mentioned that he would be kind of experimenting a bit with the lineup up until this game. So when you, so we've seen in, in past iterations of the lineup where we have, we've had like maybe Michael Brooks was out in left field last night. You have Nick Romano playing a little bit of third base. You had Cole, Cole Russo playing a bit of first base and third base and moving or moving some players around. So during this Ole Miss series, I'm very intrigued to see how this lineup is because now that, you know, coach Lovelady has had these couple few games to experiment with a lineup and see what works and what doesn't. I'm very intrigued to see what he'll do for this week's lineup weekend's weekend's lineup against Ole Miss. Cause I think that could be a very good indication of where he will go of, of lineup wise for the rest of the season. All right, so baseball once again uh, facing Ole yeah. Miss. A couple things. Home. Yeah, a couple, yep. couple ahead, things Eric. to keep in mind. Last year they played in Oxford. UCF won two out of three. Ole Miss returns pretty much almost everybody back from last year's team. They're one of the best offenses in college baseball. So they don't return John Rice Plumley though. No, but they return a ton He got of it. Remember, he got his first – was his first career hit against yeah. UCF? Yeah. Correct, correct, he did. But this will be a challenge for the UCF pitching staff this weekend – uh, expected a big crowds for this. Making sure everybody, if you're out, if you're going to go to baseball or softball, try to get there earlier than normal. This is going to be a chaotic weekend on campus. AEW. I'm not. This is not a. I'm not big. Uh, they are in. They're taking over the arena, the Addition Financial Arena. They're having a big pay per view on Sunday night. They're doing a, their Dynamite TV show on Friday night. They're doing a Fan Fest Saturday. So parking is going to be tricky this weekend i don't know why they agreed to let all of this go on at the same time i don't make those decisions but make sure you make a note of that because there's gonna be a lot of people going to baseball people going to softball and there's gonna be a lot of people going to addition financial arena so it's gonna be a little busy on campus so uh, make your plans accordingly 
that Eric Lopez is looking at the Google calendar, making sure everybody's on the right, on the right. Uh, I, I got to go get my tickets. <laughs> Wait, are you going to be going back and forth between softball and AEW? Admit it. That's what I'm going to work on. That's why I'm, I'm going to leave the show, okay. early. Okay. Leave this show a little early. I got to leave the show a little early and I got to get to get a head start here. It's going to be all impact. right. All right. Well, let's let you go. Eric Lopez joining us. Eric Lopez, Elo on Twitter. He's got to go. And uh, also thanks to Bryson. Uh, Bryce is going to stick around. We come back. Third segment. Uh, Stat boy Drew, Andrew Glukov is going to join us to talk some UCF apparel news, Nike re-upping with UCF for two years, and maybe some uniform stuff that Terry Mahasha was talking about. Hmm? All right. We'll talk about that and more when we get back. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Back after this. We are back here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, along with Bryson Turner and Andrew Glukov, joining us now for this uh, third segment where we kind of wrap things up but there's some big news which is why i wanted to bring drew in here because not only is is he our football guy he's also our resident uniform and sports aesthetics expert uh here at uh, here at black and gold banneret and uh let's give some props to our boy jason Beatty from the orlando sentinel who uh has been killing it out there and uh, dropped a piece a couple pieces actually that he did with terry uh after talking with terry mahajer um where uh, Terry had some interesting things to say about uh, about where UCF is heading in the next year or so, Drew. So the first big thing is UCF has decided to re-up with Nike for two years. Contract was, ex- was expiring this year, is that right? And they're re-upping for two more years. That gets UCF into the Big 12. So possibility, obviously we'll have to see how this all goes. Cause like Eric was saying, it depends on Texas and Oklahoma, but you know, at least right now, the plan is UCF's last two seasons in the American, they will still be a Nike school. And then things may indeed go to open market when UCF transfers to the big 12. The other interesting thing that Terry Mahajer said was uh, UCF is going to be moving away from anthracite in their uniforms. Obviously anthracite's been, you know, goes back to the Scott Frost days as an alternate third color. I liked it. I thought it was cool. A nice little alternative from, from black. Um, uh, also, you know, I, now I don't know about the performance issues with that. Cause like anthracite does obviously doesn't absorb light as much as, as much as black does. And when you're talking about playing in the Florida heat, you know, that could be a factor, but um, you've got a piece right now up on the site on black and old banneret with, uh, you know, kind of summarizing everything. What are, what are your big, takeaways here from this news that uh, that dropped well i i like and if you read the article which was just dropped on black and gold banneret i attribute what just happened to a, a bridge deal which is common in hockey where you you come from like say your rookie contract you sign this short-term bridge deal and then you get the big contract after so uh this this was kicking the can down the road and you know, Terry Mahajer, maybe like a, or forgive me for an argument, maybe like a franchise player tag in the NFL. Kind of, but a little bit longer. Uh, you know, in the case, I use Braden Point, you know, the Tampa Bay Lightning player as an example. He had a three-year uh, contract. You know, he had a three-year rookie deal that was like worth like $2 million and change. Then he signed his three-year bridge contract worth $20 million, And then uh, this, this year, going, which will apply to next season, signed an eight-year, $76 million deal. 
So that bridge one just kind of carries them through in between uh, the, the rookie one and the big one so they can get, you know, salaries all figured out and stuff because you got salary caps to deal with. But that bridge deal is meant to be a short-term, medium-sized deal before the big one. And I think this is the same thing. Uh, UCF and, and Terry Mohajer, you know, talk to other companies. We know that. We know they talk to Adidas. The thing is, uh, they looked at the outside forces, COVID, uh, you know, product issues, supply chains, you know, all these different things that have played a role in, in the world right now. As he flat said, this is not a good time to sign a new apparel deal. So you know what? You sign a two-year, you know, this bridge deal, you kick the can a little bit down the road. You also take care of the end of the American into the Big 12. So now you come to 2024. You're expecting the market to be a little more stable, supply chains to be a little more stable. You're in a new conference. The value of your product has now changed because the, the, you know, the perception of the product has changed. You're in a much more uh, prestigious and you know, highly viewed conference. And that affiliation makes a difference. So you have all these different factors playing in that makes 2024 it makes a lot more sense to line it up and, and you know i also attribute the you know the 2024 similar to what missouri did when they joined the sec in 2012 they did a full rebrand at, at multiple sports basketball football you know all of them were hit uh in particular football and, and i did a side by side in the article to show they did a radical rebrand you know they changed their logo you know, new nighthead, you know, not, you know, not coincidence. I'd like to point out, they even flat out said this is in anticipation of moving to a new conference, new age, new look, you know, new, 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 new. All it's all about stuff. new changes in the air. And, and one of the things that, you know, being a uniform junkie, a, a real uniform junkie, you know what I love the most about uniforms, them changing. I love when they change, even if I love a great design, I love the evolution, you know, and it's not just the look. It's the feel, it's the product material. It's the, you know, the weight and the feel and how it is. Cause you know, you, you want your players to be in the best position to win. Part of that's looking good. Part of that's feeling good and being able to, to do your business on the field with the proper equipment, uh, light, you know, light jerseys that you're allowed to get, you know, air into that, you know, prevent you from, you know, passing out from cramps or heat stroke or something like that. I mean, there's more to it than just, just the look. I mean, that's what the fans see. But there's more to it. And one of the things when UCF did the redesign in 2016, which was the last real redesign, they had a, you know, a couple of jerseys that came in on a newer template. But basically, the, the, the majority of the space games and the 16 are all based on an old template that really isn't used anymore. You know, that, that template was new in 14 and was pretty much phased out by the end of 2017. All the big schools have moved on to new templates, but UCF has stuck to the current one. That's partly because the, the bump that Scott Frost gave UCF with Nike, which included a two-year you know, extension of the contract, which is why it ended in 21 and not 19, uh, was also you know, including this big custom work. You notice it was only for football. That's where the, it was only, the benefit only came from football. UCF's kind of worked with a not a, a great agreement, but partly uh, with it being an extension of the current arrangement. Once again, we can't see what the contract is. Um, you know, that, I, I know I, you're I'll thrilled be about that. I will be honest. <laughs> I actually wanted them to switch 
um, from one to the other just for that reason. <laughs> but you know what? We'll punt it for two years and we'll try again. A couple of things I wanted to clarify real quick when we had the chance. So, so Mohajer said uh, to Jason Beattie in the Orlando Sentinel, quote, we'll probably extend for two more years where we are in the supply chain and with some of the other brands changing CEOs at this particular time. I don't think this is the best time to be negotiating a new deal to be very candid with you. So it sounds to me like it's, it, it's not on the, the dotted. It, they haven't signed it on the dotted line, but it looks like that's what's going to happen. Yeah, right? and so, it, it makes sense. Um, one other thing, um, and this I got to give um, uh, credit to Eric DeSalvo, and I, and, and I know that he, he probably enjoyed answering this question from uh, RBJ2K1 uh, on Twitter. Um, he said, uh, he said in response to this, what he said, we do have control over these new threads and no gold jerseys are not happening. <laughs> and you know what my response was? Thank that? God. Thank God. Uh, I, second I, that. I put up on top, uh, in front of my closet, took a picture and threw it on, on the article. I have all three of the gold jerseys UCF has used. I would never want us to go back. They've never done it right. It's never been the right shade. And once you add a little bit of moisture to that, it looks really bad. Has any has any team, college pro, whatever, pulled off gold jerseys? Uh, well, I mean, Missouri's gold, which is like a more like a darker marigold yellow. It's not really a gold. Uh, you know, they've tried that, which uh, didn't look completely terrible. But again, it comes back to the fact that once you add a little bit of moisture, any of these gold shades, I mean, it it, it looks terrible, uh, and and you you don't you know you want that look good feel good thing, but I mean it just doesn't translate, and and thankfully, uh, Eric and his team know that they've been around long enough they know gold doesn't work well, and it great it looks great as an accent color. You can use it for pants, you can use it for helmet. It's a great accent on the jersey. But it, it doesn't stand alone well. I mean, Kent State had this weird gold, and it just it didn't, it didn't work. It just kind of looked weird. And when they had a, an all-gold uniform, it just – yeah. And I, and I love Kent State. It's where my mom went to school. But come on. No, no, it didn't work. What you say? I remember, there was, a, I remember oh. there was a basketball um, – there was one year that basketball had some, had some gold jerseys, and I thought those worked out pretty well. Do you know the ones I'm talking about, Drew? Um, I think it worked because it was like a darker shade. It, it well, that's kinda... the thing. When UCF rebranded in 07, they did what they called Vegas Gold. Because if, if you actually look uh, from the old 2006 logo, the, the Lance logo, to mm. when 2007 came out, the UCF block and the nitro they used, they were darker. They were much darker as far as yeah. the shade of gold. UCF did not change their uniforms uh, at that time. So you, you still had this weird color gold that now didn't fit anything because you got rid of the gold helmet that it actually somewhat matched with. You've mm. changed the color of the gold and the logo, but nothing is actually set to go to that color, which is a much darker, uh, what uh, Vegas gold, you know, meant to be kind of like gold coin kind of look. Yeah. Uh, they, they just don't do it. And I don't know if it's because they couldn't or they just wouldn't, but they, it, it didn't match anything. And, and that just made it even worse. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask about that because I, I I looked up gold football jerseys for a second, just see some comparisons. And I noticed that Arizona State had one, had something that was a gold, but it looked a lot more like a yellow. Arizona, well, yeah, Arizona, Arizona State's State gold is more yellow. Yeah, they're more yellow. Um, UCF 
it flat out says gold. We see the block. It's a gold. Uh, they've they've lightened the shade since 2007. Uh, in fact, when they did the mini rebrand in 11, which it was quietly done, you know, the swinging bat nitro was was taken away, and, and you you got left with a, a lesser amount of marks. The shade lightened up. They went slightly away from this dark Vegas gold that just never really happened anywhere. Uh, even then, it's still a gold as opposed to a yellow. The, the Sun Devils is, is more of a dark yellow, like a like a dark sun yellow, but yeah. not not like more of a metallic gold that you see. After really it, looking it's like for. it's like the desert yellow that you see on the Arizona state flag. Right. It's kind of like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. All right. All right. So uh, anthracite is going the way of of uh dodo of the night well, and, and here, of the old, let me, let me of, jump of on the, that real quick. slightly looking off the uh, off a uh, slightly looking off center night head i should say let, let me jump on that one real quick uh more than half of the big 12 has anthracite because most which is the nike proprietary for their or their gray charcoal uniforms more than half of the big 12 actually utilizes that for ucf it becomes a redundant color uh, you have black anthracite is is more of a gray but if you're not paying attention you may oh well, that's black you know if, if you have nothing to compare to you know that's their dark uniform ucf doesn't need another dark uniform you know i love pewter uh, i love the pewter uniforms uh, i think they're outstanding but when we say pewter by the way it's really closer to a silver okay because every this is where i get confused because every time i hear pewter i think of the tampa bay buccaneers like right and gold their pewter, pewter is and their pewters with a little more gold in it um there if you actually look which at it pewter closely, is pewter <laughs> pewters well i'm I, and i i thought the same thing you see i i think more of that's a selling point uh you it's really more of a silver than anything else uh but the thing is when ucf did the 2007 rebrand look at all the logos silver was a color in the in the logos it was a tertiary color it actually makes a lot of sense that UCF has a silver-like, you know, uniform to go with the fact that until the, the re-rebrand in 2011, uh, silver actually was in all the logos. Uh, you know, it's one of those things that was quietly dropped. They didn't mention it. They just quietly removed it, but it was there. And, and so it kind of makes a lot of sense that, that, you know, that tertiary color is used. But when you have white, you have black, Something like a silver, which is kind of in between the two, makes a lot of sense. Uh, and that's and and then you have the one outlandish piece, which is the space game, where you actually we go with the Canaveral blue, which is you know kind of that fourth one that that is the complete you know change the pace you know off off a, you know, out of left field kind of thing. And I think it it, it makes uh, makes for a great combination. I think fans will get over not having anthracite pretty quickly. I, you know, so, Jimmy, so, um, are you, so are you saying, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Bryson, I want to get, I want to get this question in. So you're saying that you anticipate them keeping pewter, but not, but the, obviously anthracite's gone. Anthracite's gone, but they're going to keep pewter. Is that right? I think they'll end up keeping it. Uh, it, it makes for a good third color, uh, which still fits the school colors without going, you know, you know, the Canaveral blue, which is you know, a complete alternate, alternate thing. But, uh, you know, it, it just makes a lot of sense. You know, UCF blue. has four helmets, gold, white, <laughs> a silver, you know, call it whatever you want. It's really like a silver color and black. There's no anthracite helmet 
you have to mix it. So have, you know, you, you at least have something with that. Now we know the gold jerseys don't work. They have gold pants, which works again with the accent uh, and a gold helmet can work, you know, if you make the, if the, if the colors all, all, all jive together, but the other ones all have corresponding helmet color to Jersey color. And I, and I think that that helps work. Anthracite again was redundant. It's not needed. And I think fans will get a, will, 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 will be able to move on pretty quickly once the season starts going. I just hope we retain the Pegasus, the the light Pegasus on the shoulders, because I just love that. Go ahead, Bryson. You had a question? Well, I'll yeah, say real um, quick. No, I'll go it, say real quick. Eric, um, in one of his other uh, Eric DeSalvo, in one of his other comments, did say uh, with a picture, kind of hold on. So I, I think Pegasus is going to still be around, maybe a little bit different, but I think I don't I don't think Pegasus is going away. Okay, good. Yeah, I was I was just going to say because I think this is a great kind of. Uh, Summit summation of all that we're talking about because another fan tweeted their concerns at Terry Mohajer and they got a quote tweet from executive associate AD of brand advancement Jimmy Skiles who said uh, we won't be limiting the brand as Dr. Seuss said why fit in when you were born to stand out and included a picture of various I love I love Jimmy for for quoting Dr. Seuss good on you it's what I go back to the anthracite is you because you know anthracite's a nike thing and and nike's you know fits most of the big 12 uh, you know anthracite's used by most of these schools because black is not one of their colors you know oklahoma state being the real big exception to that but they don't have gold they have an orange so ucf's taken advantage of the fact that they have black as a color they don't need anthracite like everybody else you know it's different than the american where no one else was using it big 12 everyone's using it so be different don't use it yeah yeah, and and I and I just brought up that tweet from Jimmy. I think that's a really interesting point, um, where he's got. Look at this. I'm looking at it. I'm I'm looking at the pictures. Like in the Big Retweet Twelve, by Terry Mahajer, by the way. You have West Virginia, Kansas, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, TCU, Houston, Iowa State, all with, um, all with anthracite, all with anthracite jerseys, and they do look. They look all the same. They all. I mean, look the, the same, yeah. a little bit different, but I mean, it, it looks all it. it I mean, the, the, the TCU one's got camouflage on. That's the only thing. Is, but they, but you're right. They do all look the same. Yeah. I, I think UCF, you know, yeah, there's, you know, Cincinnati, Oklahoma State, they both have have black in there. But you know what? There's only one black and one black and gold school. It's UCF. And they're going to u- utilize the living daylights out of that. I'm glad this, I'm glad this one person who was, who was talking, who was replying said, um, you know, UCF is not Penn State. We are the future and image is everything. And Jimmy was like, yeah, you're exactly right. And, and you know something, I controversial take, but, I, you know, this is how I feel about it. I don't care. Um, I think Penn State has the worst uniforms in college football. It bores me. It's boring. Unbelievably boring. It's boring. But I'm I can't tell if it's black or navy blue and you have just this white helmet. It's like, what are you wearing? Your, your practice helmets? <laughs> it is 2021, man. Put a logo on that stuff. Hey, as a Cleveland Browns guy growing up, I, I don't I, that I can't uh, agree with totally. Um, they tried, and, and the Cleveland the Browns 60s. have more creative uniforms than Penn State. I will say. Well, that. yeah, I mean, you got plain, but I'm going to take a hot. I'm going to make a hotter take than you regarding UCF uniforms. Bring it. Uh, UCF is not drip. You require why? Because that requires staying fresh. And when your last fresh was in 2016, you're no longer fresh. So, yeah, that's why I'm excited about now because part of, you know, yeah, it looks good, but you know what? It's old. 
it's stale. So, I don't know if you can say we're not drip you, but I do think when you are drip you, you got to keep you you got to you got to keep up with the Jones. You got to be a trendsetter. And sitting on something for six years is not setting a trend. That is, you know, setting a trend and letting the trends move past you. You know, that that's being the first to buy a BMW, but then you don't buy any, you know, when it started becoming popular in the 70s and into the 80s, but never buying another one again. And, you know, the rest of the world just passes you by. Uh, you know, if you want to be the top of that area, and there's nothing wrong with that, you got to be ahead of the curve. When Scott Frost was hired and we first came out with these uniforms in 16, he placed it, he said, expect these for two years. And then the plan was he would have new ones designed for 2018. Well, he left. So that didn't happen. 18, 19, 20, 21, nothing happened. They, they, they used the same thing. Basically, we, we, we were sold a certain bill of goods, situations have changed, and then it, everything just stopped. And they just kind of sat back on what they had. Fans love it, yes. But you, 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 you're, at that point, you're almost lying to yourself. You're, you, oh, we're the, the best uniforms ever, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, in 16 and maybe 17, but now you're starting, you've gotten, you've gotten old, you've gotten stale and, and you need some, you need change. And now we're starting to see change. That's a little harsh. I've, I've, it's always been my, my opinion on it. Uh, if you, if you want to be viewed as the, uh, uh, a top, you know, uniform designing school and you have a uniform for longer than four years, you're doing it wrong. I think you're a little harsh, a little harsh, a little harsh. I do agree that there's there's time for an update, but you know what? We're going to see some stuff this summer, and uh, at least that's the hope. And when we get to the Big Twelve, I think that's I think you're right. That's where it's going to be. That's where the big changes are going to happen. And and, and Jeff, you you you've been uh, in the program around the program as long as I have. You remember, you know, in 04 and slash 05. You remember in 10. You remember in 13, and you remember in 16. Uniform unveilings are exciting. There's a, there's a lot of excitement. It's Christmas Day. It's, yeah, it, well, I mean, I'm Jewish, so for me, it's the first night of Hanukkah. Okay, it's the first uh, night of Hanukkah. <laughs> I mean, but, when you... But, I mean, it's, it's, it really is. I mean, it's, it's a very exciting time. Uh, I, I think a lot of newer fans really have never experienced this from, you know, from, from the standpoint here of, you know, when they, when they come together, they show up the new helmets and the new uniforms. Oh, my God, when they came out in 16, the world, the UCF world stopped. Like, holy moly, what just happened? This is amazing. It even I mean, happened you, in 13 when you had the, the Rutgers-style stripes and everything. It was just uh, something else. But now it's, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of go ahead. it. Go ahead, Bryson. You had a question? Yeah, I was just saying, do you, um, I actually was learning this in uh, one of my uh, classes that I've been learning. But do you remember how crazy people went when Operation Blacktop happened and people thought that they were going to do a black helmet reveal? Granted, it was for a new basketball court, but the buzz that stuff is generated, like you, you mentioned before, people go nuts for for aesthetic reveals. And I think that uh, I just couldn't agree more with your point before. Yeah, because that, that 13... In 2013, when they revealed that black helmet, which when you actually look at it, it's like, man, this thing's really ugly. Uh, like, holy moly, everyone was like, they lost their stuff. They they absolutely went nuts. And holy jeez, we're having a black helmet for the first time since the, the you know, we were at one AA school in 94. This is amazing. Uh, you know, it didn't matter if it was really just kind of an ugly thing and just kind of weird styling, but it, it was just the, the fact it was unveiled. It was new. It was different. And that that's what excites people. You know, it's the law of diminishing returns. It's economics. You know, you get more and more of the same thing. 
your your perceived value of it goes down. So now you're you're bringing something new to the table. Uh, it's going to bring that excitement back up to a very high level of oh, it's a new era, it's a new thing. Oh, we've got new stuff, yeah. And and then you know then you kind of work your way back down over time, and then you do a new refresh and you bring it back up to that high level, and and the cycle continues. I know. I really liked the blacktop basketball court. Well, I didn't, I, I didn't, well, I was talking about the black helmet. I know, but I know, uh, the, but, but, the, but Bryson brought that up and as, and we got rid of it. I don't know why I thought it was, cool. I'll be I honest. Like I actually thought the black top was going to be darker. Um, I was fine it, with it the way it was. Well, no, when, when they were hamming it up, when they, when everything was being hammed up and then they showed, then the you pictures. don't see, then you didn't see the wood grain and you didn't see the detail, you know? Well, yeah. I was like, I had, I, and I had one expectation. They came with another, I wasn't disappointed with it. It's just, it wasn't exactly what I was expecting, but I'll take that any day. I'll take the blacktop any day over that roller coaster thing that they used for a while with the eye. I didn't, uh, the eye of Orlando. I did not like that at all. It wasn't just love aesthetics. It wasn't so bad. It wasn't so bad. All right. I'll take the blacktop over that. All right. Um, I want to get Bryson as we switch gears as we finish up here. Uh, just kind of wrapping things up. We got some tennis news that you wanted to talk about, Bryson, real quick. Yes, I yes, we did. So first, so men's tennis finally got another win. First win since January 30th. And women's tennis got their first win against a, a ranked team against number 17 Baylor. And in and Men's tennis man and, and women's tennis both managed to defeat the number one doubles pairs in the country in both men's and women's tennis. You can read more about that in my nightcap article, but it was all, but I, and I wish we could talk about more on here, but tennis had a really good weekend too. It's, it's been a pretty great week, weekend week for UCF sports. Yeah. And, and let's not forget about men's golf either. They uh, finished top five in the Coral Creek club um invitational at plus 11 johnny johnny trevally finished tied for third in that event as well so that was a, another good week for ucf men's golf as well congratulations to uh bryce waller and his crew for uh, a job well done down uh in in that tournament all right let's finish this thing up here on black and gold banneret you can follow us as usual at ucf or excuse me s uh, uh ucf banneret underscore sbn ucf banneret underscore sbn by the way just a reminder if you followed us before on our old handle, you probably don't follow us on our new handle. So look up that handle, follow us there. Follow us each individually. Bryson is at It's Bryson Turner. Andrew is at Stat Boy Drew. Also, thanks to Kyle, who is at The SOTG for the student of the game. And Eric Lopez Elo. Um, also, thanks again to uh, Anne-Marie Blaney for um, spending some time with us. A.M. Blaney on Instagram. That's where she wants you to follow her um, as, uh, she, as she continues her professional career and follows UCF track as well. Uh, if you subscribe to our podcast, we thank you so much. Please leave us a rating. If you don't, you can subscribe to us wherever you want. Apple, uh, uh, Android, wherever you get your podcast, just search for Black and Gold Banneret. All right. So. For all of us here at Black and Gold Banner, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening. Really enjoyed it this week. Another busy show. We got a busy weekend coming up. Number two, team baseball coming to town. We got softball tournament. We got basketball happening. Big couple big road games coming up. Basketball tournament next week for the conference. It's getting wild out here at Black and Gold Banner. All right. Send help. <laughs> for all of us here, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.